Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. On the back of your bulletin, you have um, a couple of pictures. The picture on the left is Thomas Jefferson's Bible. And you'll notice one of those pages looks like a piece of Swiss cheese. That's because Jefferson went through the Gospels and he cut out those sections that were the moral teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, parables, things of that nature. And he put them all together in a volume called, and this is the picture on the right, the Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Now that was later typeset. This is what he wrote on the title page, the, his, his original volume. Later it was printed. And in fact, uh, the government printing office uh, would print this up every year and hand it out to members of Congress uh, because Jefferson originally had felt, and many others had felt, that in order to keep our republic free, uh, we needed to have the teachings of Jesus, especially in the halls of Congress. And so the government paid for this. Uh, in fact, uh, the government even paid for this volume to be used at, in mission work to the Indians, um, which is kind of dubious, and I'll mention more about that in just a moment. But for 50 years, more than 50 years, every congressman was handed copy of this life and morals of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting in that Jefferson left a lot in the Gospels that he did not transfer to his volume, The Life and Morals of Jesus. Among other things, he left out the miracles of Jesus. He did not include those in his volume. He did not include the exorcisms of Jesus. And let me read to you the end of this volume, The Life and Morals of Jesus. This is after Jesus has given up the ghost on the cross. They took the body of Jesus, wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There they laid Jesus, and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher, and departed. The end. That's it. There's no miracles. There's no resurrection in Jefferson's volume. Now, was Jefferson a believer? People can debate that all day. I hope he was. There's a lot of ev evidence to the contrary. But I share this with you because this represents the perspective of someone who sees Jesus as a good moral teacher, period. In Roman numeral one in your outline, Inventing the good teacher, that's this week's false Christ, 
the good moral teacher, the proponents or the advocates of this view of Jesus, point A, they do not completely reject the biblical witness to Jesus, nor do they completely accept it. Many of these people are not atheists. They're simply skeptics. They don't accept everything in the biblical witness about Christ. And point B, they have to cherry pick the passages of scripture that they want. They cherry pick them. They, they will include one and reject another. For example, they will dismiss Christ's declarations of divinity. They think that's unworthy of Jesus, the great teacher. They dismiss his miracles as impossible, largely because they don't recall ever having experienced a miracle themselves, and therefore they assume that miracles have not happened and could not have happened to anyone else, which is a very close-minded approach to miracles. It ignores a lot of evidence, but so what? And number three, they ignore statements that make them feel uncomfortable. Uh, utterances of Jesus that are maybe squirm-worthy, perhaps, okay? Um, his statements about marriage and adultery and divorce, for example. And statements like those make many of us feel uncomfortable as well. I can recall uh, several years back sending uh, an article into the newspaper on divorce and what Jesus said about divorce and adultery and remarriage. And I waited and I waited and I waited for it to be published. And finally, I contacted someone at the paper and I said, oh, by the way, I sent something in um, quite some time ago on uh, marriage and adultery and divorce. Uh, what happened to it? And the answer I got was, well, there's a lot of people here who are divorced <laughs> and they're uncomfortable with what you wrote. And I said, well, I un understand that. Um, but the article's about forgiveness. And divorce is not the unforgivable, the unforgivable sin. And I made that very clear in the article. Now, they eventually ran it, and I, I give them credit for that. But it's our tendency. It's not just the skeptics out there. It's our own tendency as well to uh, conveniently skip over passages, utterances of Jesus that make us feel uncomfortable. But the problem with that is uh, skipping over such passages also causes us to skip over the gospel as well. Uh, I would rather acknowledge my failures and have Jesus answer for them at the cross than I would to dismiss my failures or ignore them and have to answer for them someday myself. Roman numeral two. If Jesus were a mere man, 
as the advocates of his being a good moral teacher would say, if Jesus were a mere man, he could not be good. For no good man would say what Jesus said. No merely good man would do that. No good man would allow other men to worship him. But Jesus did. No good man would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But Jesus said that. No good man would say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. But Jesus says that and a good many other things like it. No good man talks that way. A crazy man might talk that way. But then again, we wouldn't consider a crazy man a great moral teacher. We wouldn't go to that man for advice on how to live. Now, a liar may talk that way. But I don't think a liar would voluntarily lay down his life for what he knows to be a lie. It doesn't make sense. And therefore, it makes no sense to call Jesus merely a good man. The only way you can do that is to cherry pick. And when you do that, the man you end up with, I venture to guess, would look a lot like you. Jefferson's Jesus is a lot like Jefferson. You know, we, we project onto God the way we think he ought to be. As Mark Twain said, in the beginning God created man in his own image and we've been returning the compliment ever since. It's true. That's what we do in order to feel good about ourselves. But feeling good about ourselves in that way is simply not good enough for a believer. We feel comforted. We feel joy knowing that Christ, the God-man, has answered for our sins. That's a lot better than feeling good, especially when the reason we're feeling good is false to begin with. Roman numeral three, Christianity is not about what Jesus taught, but who Jesus is another reason why he's not simply a good moral teacher because the faith that's been passed down to us is not about what he taught primarily it's about who he is as a person it's his person it's not his teaching that matters most Jesus did not ask in the region of Caesarea Philippi when he's talking privately with his disciples he did not ask what do people say I teach not the question. The question is, who do people say I am? See, that's the point. And the question implies that he must be something that other people are not. He must be something more than the rest of us are. 
Roman numeral four. So why does it matter who he is? Point A, the value of even one human life is far beyond our ability to pay. Your life and my life far beyond our own ability to pay. All of us are in debt to God, and the debt is far bigger than we can afford. And that's clear from the first reading for this evening from Psalm 49. Truly, no man can ransom another, and here's, here's why, or give to God the price of his life. That is to say, I can't even ransom myself, much less you. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Whatever we put forward in payment of that debt, which is sin, doesn't begin to cover it. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol or the grave, for he will receive me. Point B, only God whose death is as infinite in its scope and in its value, in its value as God himself can provide such a ransom. Only the life of God can cover our indebtedness, a life that has infinite value and scope. And that's why Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, our third reading for tonight, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a payment, a redemption price for many. And so point C, God was, at the same time now, God was in heaven as the avenger of justice and God was on the cross as the victim of justice. See, justice and mercy meet together at the cross. His utter disdain for sin and his mercy for sinners intersect at that point 2,000 years ago. And that's our faith. In our second reading for this evening, the angel appears to Joseph and says this, verse 21, she, meaning Mary, the virgin, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. The angel did not say, you shall call his name Jesus because he will teach his people to improve their lives. The angel did not say, you'll call his name Jesus because he will teach his people to up their game to a new level. Or he will teach his people to try harder to dial up the commitment. It's not what the angel said. T you know, teachers are fine 
But sinful humanity needs more than a teacher. We need more than a prophet. We need a savior, the Son of God himself, whose life alone is a sufficient ransom for us all. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.